You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. We're going to be in two places, 1 Kings chapter 19 uh, and 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to look at the stories of Elijah and Elisha uh, today. The message title is Position for Increase, Position for Increase. And uh, I'm going to try to cover as much of these two uh, passages as we can for time. There might be some things I'll try to summarize for you. But uh, just to kind of set the scene here, uh, Elijah is known really throughout Israel's history as kind of the high watermark of God working through somebody to bring uh, his will and his purpose to a nation. Uh, Elijah was kind of a, came, uh, he came and left in a whirlwind, literally left in a whirlwind, but when he came, he showed up on the scene and called the nation back to God. Uh, the nation was at a low point. It was at a place of uh, idolatry and pursuit of uh, worship of Baal, who was a uh, false god in the land of Canaan. Baal's name means master. It's a picture of a counterfeit master, counterfeit lord. And really, it's a picture of anything that we uh, give our heart lives and affections to apart from Jesus. Whatever we allow to direct our lives apart from Jesus becomes just like uh, the influence of Baal in the lives of these people. And so uh, they were led in the worship of Baal by uh, the king and queen of Israel. Ahab was the king. His wife Jezebel had largely uh, led that parade and brought that influence. But on a dramatic display of God's power, God God, through Elijah, called the nation back to the living God, to the reality of God at Mount Carmel. They had this kind of showdown between the prophets of Baal, those that Jezebel had, had raised up uh, to lead Israel away from God, and, and one man alone, Elijah, standing there before all of them, uh, and he preached to the nation and said, you know, choose this day whom you'll serve, and, uh, and then he, he calls down praise for fire to come from heaven, and this dramatic miracle takes place, and we see God give them victory and display before all of Israel unquestionably that he is God and not Baal. Uh, And chapter 19 is right after this. Uh, All these false prophets of Baal have actually been put to death. It says this in verse uh, verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had executed all the false prophets, all the prophets with the sword, and Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. So Elijah's, you know, as as preachers go, as prophets go, he's had a pretty good day. Uh, The nation's had revival. They've seen God uh, display his power and Uh, Then Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah. And here's what she said, let the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So he is just face down like, hundreds, literally hundreds of demonized false prophets of Baal, but at the word of one person. Jezebel sends back words, sends back a message, a threat against Elijah's life. And when he saw that, when he hears this message, you know, I think it's interesting. It doesn't just say when he heard that. He hears of the threat, but then he pictures it in his own mind. And when he saw that, when he saw what her threat would result in, that, that he allowed fear to take root. And this great prophet of God, Elijah, it says, arose and ran for his life. See, even in moments of victory, we can become vulnerable. 
even in moments of triumph, even in moments of spiritual advance or breakthrough or a great moment of God working in our lives, we can still be vulnerable to the influence of something that's unhealthy, destructive, and even deceptive. In this case, it's fear. Fear causes Elijah to be intimidated and to run. This Elijah who was bold and confident in a moment of vulnerability becomes afraid. And he allows fear to direct him. Let's jump ahead to verse 9. He ends up hiding in a cave. Elijah, who is bold, is now hiding. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Can I just help you today? If God's asking you, what are you doing here? It means you're not supposed to be there. (laughs) What are you doing here, Elijah? I didn't tell you to come here. I didn't send you here. What are you doing here? Elijah's response is effectively motivated by what he's now experiencing because of his intimidation and fear. He says, Lord, I've been very zealous for you, for the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel, forsaking your covenant. They tore down your altars. They killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then he said, go out. God says to him, go out. Stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountain, broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after that, wind and earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After that, a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. If you're looking for God just in dramatic things, you sometimes can miss him. But it says this, after the fire, a still, small voice, God whispers. Do you know why God whispers? Not because he isn't powerful and great and majestic and mighty. He's greater than every mountain. He's greater than the span. The Bible says that he measures the universe that he's created in the span of his hand. That's who your God is. But the reason he whispers is because he's close. He whispers because he's close. A still small voice comes to Elijah, and so it was. Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his mantle. His mantle is a garment, an outer cloak that represents his, his position, his authority, his calling from God as a prophet. He goes out, and he stands at the entrance of the cave, and a voice comes to him and says, see, God loves you enough sometimes to talk to you about stuff more than once. I'm thankful. God, God will keep talking to me about it until I get it. You know, it's better for me to get it the first time. But some, sometimes we need a couple, uh, couple lessons. Here's what he says. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah comes back and he says, have you seen the price of gas, God? <laughs> have you seen there's no toilet paper? Okay. Um, <laughs> he, he responds with what he's seeing. He's driven into the cave by fear. He's driven into the cave by the influence and the voice of a lie. But it's God's voice that's going to do something very different. He responds. God, he says the same thing. He repeats as if God didn't hear him the first time. He says, God, I've been very zealous. He goes through the list. You know, I've been faithful, and I've done all these things. Israel's forsaken you. They've torn down their altars. They've killed your prophets. And, and, and God then comes to him and says this. He says, I've got a job for you, Elijah. I'm not done. I'm not done in Israel. I'm not done in the nation. I'm not done with my purpose. He says, you're going to go anoint the next king. You're going to go anoint the next prophet, Elisha, which we'll see in just a moment. You're going to go out, but you're going to have to leave the cave. You're going to go out and anoint them. 
And then he says, I still have 7,000 who've not bowed their knee. God says, I'm not done. I'm not, I'm not moved by what's happening in the nation of Israel. Can I just tell you today, God's not worried about what the enemy's doing. He's not worried by circumstances. He's not worried about God's not moved. His will isn't thwarted. His purpose is still going forward. God still has a plan. He still has a hope. He still has a promise. And I'd rather find out what God's got planned than anything else the devil's got in mind. I'd rather find out what God's got planned than try to do it my own way. And Elijah in this moment has to do something to be positioned for what God has called him to do, to prepare the next generation to see revival come to that nation. God wasn't done taking down Jezebel. Can I just tell you, just like Jezebel influenced Israel through fear, intimidation, seduction, all of these things, we deal with the same stuff today, you know, different name, same demon. (laughs) But the answer is still the same. God still has a promise. God still has a plan. Jesus is still the hope of the world. He's still the hope of America. He's still the hope of your family and mine. He's still the answer for your marriage. He's still the answer for your kids, your grandkids. And God still has a purpose. And so God tells Elijah, you're going to go and do something. You're going to go anoint the next king, anoint the next prophet. But to do that, he's got to do something. He's got to get out of the cave. He's got to leave the cave. I've got four points for you today from this story in the next passage. The first one is very simple. Leave the cave. Leave the cave. See, his cave was fear. His cave was intimidation. His cave came because of the threat of Jezebel against his life and Elijah, who one day is bold. You know, have you ever thought, I I used to be strong. Why is this happening? I used to overcome that. Why am I dealing with this again? He overcame 450 prophets of Baal, but at the word and threat of Jezebel the queen, he runs for his life. What voice is driving you and I? I think we're either running from something or towards something. I'd rather be running towards something. I'd rather be running towards what God has for me. And fear's voice sent him into the cave, but it was God's voice that came like a whisper. He could have easily missed it. But God's voice came like a whisper and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You're not done. Get out of the cave. Leave this place. Leave this cave. Get to where I've called you to be. Do what I've called you to do. And any time we live in a place of shame, a place of fear, a place of perpetual unhealed brokenness, when we live in a place of uh, unresolved trauma but don't go to Jesus to be our healer, when we live in a cave, of offense and bitterness and uh, any of those, whatever your cave looks like, it's not meant to be your destination. And he calls him out of the cave and God calls us to leave the cave too. So God's voice, can I just help you with this? Maybe it's new to understand this idea, but God's given us, see God likes to communicate. Jesus is called the word. God is he, 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 the first thing as God's forming the heavens and the earth, it says, God said, let there be light. God spoke. God is a talking God, a speaking God. He's given us his word to give us truth and freedom to establish us on a foundation. We have to have the word of God as the foundation of our lives. He's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us because there's some stuff that you and I have to know to do that there isn't a Bible verse for, that, you know, there's no verse that says you should live here, marry this person, do this, but we need God's wisdom, direction, we need his leadership, and that's why he's given us his word and the Holy Spirit. 
The enemy's voice always leads to a trap, leads us deeper into the cave, leads us into bondage, keeps us trapped under the weight of shame and condemnation. But, but here's what the voice of God does. It always speaks truth. You know, I find that sometimes my thoughts and God's thoughts are different. Have you found that to be true? My, my, my opinions and my plans sometimes are different than his. But I found as I've gotten to know him, his thoughts are higher. His ways are better. It's not just different, it's better. And so when I agree with God, when I exchange my plan for his, my thoughts for his, his voice always leads into freedom. His voice is always truth. Verse 19, so he departed from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12. He's plowing the field of his family. He's there taking care of what he's been given responsibility for. Elijah walks by, passes by him, and throws his mantle, his garment, his, his cloak upon him. And this mantle was not just a garment. It represented a calling. It represented a purpose. It represented the authority of, of Elijah's calling from heaven to be a prophet to Israel. And so Elijah, as he walks by, he doesn't even say a word. He takes the mantle that's on him, and he throws it on Elisha and then keeps walking. Elisha goes, what? What's, what just happened? <laughs> There's Elijah. He's taking, see, Elisha is found in the field. He's found in the place of being faithful with what he was given. He was positioned right where he was supposed to be. And because he was in position where he was supposed to be, God could meet him through Elijah. And in that moment, the garment, this cloak, this mantle is thrown on his shoulders and while he's there plowing the field, doing the same thing season after season, year after year, God meets him right there. See, we have a, I think, a messed up idea of significance. Because we get our definition of significance from the world. We get our definition of success by looking at the wrong source. We get our, our value and our identity from looking at the wrong thing. And so we look at our lives sometimes and we think what we're doing isn't important. And what we're doing isn't valuable. And what we're doing isn't, doesn't matter much. And sometimes it's in the obscure things that we find that our character is built. We find that we meet with God like we wouldn't otherwise. When we're faithful in the field, we discover that God has positioned us for his purpose. Verse 20, he left the oxen, he ran after Elijah, and he said, please let, my, let me kiss my father and mother, and I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh. He had a barbecue. Come on. I like this guy. Uh, using the oxen's equipment, he gave it to the people, and they ate, and he arose, and he followed Elijah and became his servant, point number two, is serve in the field. First one is leave the cave and then serve in the field. Jesus said this, that if you're faithful with little, you can be given much. You can be made rule over much. You're, he, he, you can be trusted with much. See, I think a lot of, well, 
I know this, all of us have a calling and a purpose from God. And sometimes our most significant calling is wrapped up in something we would easily overlook. It's in the moments that we think, see, we, if we get our definition of significance from social media, we'll get it wrong. If we get our definition of significance by watching other people, we'll get it wrong. Significance begins, kingdom significance begins with being faithful with what God has placed right in front of my life. I've told you this story before, but, you know, years ago I had a a word from God about being in ministry, doing the things that I've done now over the better part of 18 years. But there was a season where I was working at uh, this, I was in an inner city youth facility, working with hurting kids, working with kids and families that were broken and had all kinds of life challenges and we were in the highest crime place in, in all of the, uh, the Metro Phoenix area. And while I'm there, I'm talking to God about how I'm supposed to be in ministry. And how I'm supposed to have a purpose. And how I'm supposed to do great things for him. And I'm talking to God about this, complaining about my day job. Nobody's ever done that. Okay, good. And, and while I'm talking to God about this, God has to remind me, you've got a ministry right around you. You've got hurting people right here. Just look around. And when I began to do that, I started praying, not just for revival in the church. I started praying right there in one of the most broken communities in Phoenix. Started, started reaching people, started loving people like I hadn't before, started seeing God move. I started recognizing that if I serve in the field that's in front of me, that I can discover the purpose of God right where I'm at. See, a lot of us are looking for the next thing, and we're missing the thing that's right here. You know, one of the most important callings I ever have had and ever will have is to raise three champions, my two sons and my daughter. You know, I, I can do a lot of things in the world that the world would consider success, but if I miss training those three champions, then I miss my purpose. If I've missed taking care of and speaking life into my wife, encouraging her, loving her unconditionally, speaking to what God has placed in her life, then I've missed my purpose. If we as the church don't, don't see hurting people around us while we have need, of course, of God helping us and rescuing us. But if we never make a difference in the lives of others, we've missed our purpose. Serve in your field. What has God placed in front of you? Do you know Elijah, or excuse me, Elisha, to try to keep him straight. Elisha, the younger, the one who's been plowing the field. The 12 yoke of oxen, it says later on as he would one day become the prophet of Israel and he would be known for his great calling and gift and, and, and God using him to bring revival to the nation. Uh, do you know what his resume was known by? I want you to see this. 2 Kings 3.11, Jehoshaphat, who would be a later king, would say, is there no prophet of Israel here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants, the king of Israel, said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. And he's the one that poured water on the hands of Elijah. 
Elisha's going to do some pretty incredible things. He's going to see the dead raised. He's going to see miracles happen. He's going to see armies of the, uh, of the enemies overcome by, in mass. And God's going to do so much in his life. But the thing that he's known by is washing hands. Maybe God's idea of significance is a little bit different than ours. See, if we're too big to serve, we're actually too small to lead. Can I just help you? There's areas of our life that may not seem earthly significant, but it's right where God has called us to be. There's significance in your school, student. There's significance in your workplace. There's significance in your family. Well, I'm the only Christian there. Well, maybe, maybe that's your mission field. <laughs> maybe instead of reacting to all the craziness in your family, and if you think, you know, other families don't have craziness too, they do, just read the book of Genesis sometime. Like, it's always been a problem. <laughs> but God's called you to impact the world around you. Elisha, in this moment, has an opportunity to, I think, get offended. Why? Because Elijah walks by and he throws his mantle on him. He doesn't say anything. And Elisha goes, oh, wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me say goodbye to my family. I know this is a significant moment. I, I'll appreciate that Elisha recognizes that this is a God moment that he needs to step into. I don't want to miss God moments because I'm preoccupied with something lesser. Because I go, oh, it's going to require some inconvenience. It's going to require a change. It's going to require a, a rearranging of my schedule. It's going to require me following in a way I haven't followed before. No, no, he recognizes that's important. He says, let me go say goodbye. And Elijah, he's, he's he, well, let's just say, you know, he, he's not like the easiest guy to talk to. <laughs> he goes, what have I done for you? Like, like you, you think this is significant. What did I do for you? You know, Elisha, I think, had an opportunity there to go, man, this guy's a jerk. You know, I heard about Elijah. I heard he was an awesome prophet of God. But, but that was kind of rude. I, I wonder how many people can't get past a, step, a, a stepping stone because it's become their stumbling block. There's a lot of people that aren't doing what God's called them to do because of what somebody else said, what somebody else did. And they're not positioned where God has them because of that. Number three, burn the plow. <laughs> he, uh, he has a barbecue. I like this guy. I don't know. I'm personally, I, I, I have a special place in my heart for any time they have a barbecue in the Bible. I know. Oh, I forgot. My wife's from the Midwest. She says, it's not a barbecue. You grill out. Where I come from, everything's barbecue. <laughs> okay, uh, burn the plow. So, so, so here's the thing. Elisha recognizes this is a God moment, and rather than leaving something to go back to, he takes the instrument of his previous season, and he takes the oxen of his previous season, and he builds an altar. He takes his past season... And, and what do I mean by burn the plows? He, he shuts the door on one season 
to move forward into the next season. It's, it's really hard to move forward while you still have a plan B. It, it's, really, it's really hard to, 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 to build a future, healthy, strong marriage while you're still looking up your ex on Facebook. Oh, this is too early in the morning for that. Sorry, that's, that's for Wednesday nights. Okay. It, it, it's really hard to, as long as you've got a plan B, it's hard to say yes to God's plan A. And Elisha goes, no, I'm going to shut the door. I'm going to burn the pot. I'm going I'm to have a barbecue. with. I'm not going back to my, my old season. I'm moving forward into a new season, even though it might cost me. Do you know Elijah was easily a guy who was misunderstood? And so to travel with Elijah meant you would be misunderstood, might be talked about. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus comes to his disciples, and here's how he would call them. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, and they're, they're fishermen. They're casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And they said, then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And of course, he's talking about turning them into apostles and evangelists and those that would reach people with the good news of Jesus. But can I just tell you something? That when we follow Jesus, he makes us into something. He makes us into something we weren't before. He makes us into something we were always meant to be. He makes us into the man and the woman of God that we were created and born from all eternity. God had a plan for you. The Bible says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's things that God's called each of us to do. And he says God has prepared beforehand, Ephesians 2, we're prepared beforehand. God has prepared beforehand the things for you and I to walk in. He positions us. But there's part of this arrangement where we say yes to his plan A and we follow, even though sometimes it means burning some plows, even though sometimes it means saying no to some things, even though it means rearranging some things in your heart and in your life, even though it means surrender like you hadn't before. Can I tell you, a new season always begins with surrender. It always begins with a yes to God. And, and so Jesus says to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I think the reason why so many people are unsatisfied, unfulfilled, depressed, discouraged, despondent, is because they're following the wrong thing and they haven't found out what they were created for. He says, I will make you. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. We, we, we lay down our past. We lay down the hurt. We lay down our own failure at the feet of Jesus. We lay down our shame and give it to him. We, we lay it all down. Romans 6, 9 says of, of, of the reality of what Jesus has done for us. He says, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has authority or dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also, as a result of this, consider or reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin but alive to God 
He says, it says, reckon yourself, consider yourselves that, that, that the other options you're now dead to, but you found something so much better. That one yes. See, see when, I, when I met my wife, now 16 years ago, we're coming up on our 15th wedding anniversary. When I met her, I, 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 I found somebody who was worth saying yes to. And when we got married... I was saying no to other things and yes to the right thing. And when we find Jesus, there's some things we say no to, but now we're saying it's not about what we're saying no to. It's about a much better yes. Because when we follow him, we find out what we're made for. Fourth and final point, let's turn to 2 Kings 2. 2 Kings 2. I want you to see what happens. Fast forward 10 years in their story. Elisha has now followed Elijah, and Elijah is about to go to heaven. And it says, it came to pass in verse 1, when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went uh, with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah says to him, stay here, please, for the Lord sent me on to Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now let me, let me just summarize this for time. Because they're going to go from town to town, city to city. And Elijah's already said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone soon. And I think over this last 10 years, he's gotten to know that Elisha has a purpose and a calling. He's going to take his place and he's going to move forward. He's going to lead the next generation to take down Jezebel and to see revival complete in that nation. And he's preparing him. And so he goes from town to town and there's like a Bible school in every town. They're called the sons of the prophets in every town. He says, hey, stay here. Make a future for yourself. Stay here. I'm moving. I'm going this way. You stay here. But Elisha says, I'm not leaving. Because he refuses to settle for less than God's best for his life. And what positions us for increase, we start with leaving the cave, getting out of the thing that has kept us bound, kept us trapped, kept us in a place of discouragement and brokenness. And then we begin to move forward, step into the things that God has for us. We begin to say yes to the, the plan of God. We, we, we burn the plows, but there's still something we have to take up. And Elijah says, I'm leaving. And so Elisha has the opportunity to settle at any point. They start in Gilgal. Gilgal's, Gilgal's name means rolling away or cutting away reproach. It's a great picture of salvation that God has taken our shame, rolled away our past, forgiven us of our sin. And we start at the place of salvation. But can I tell you, God has more for your life than just saving you. I'm glad for that. Are you glad for being saved? Like, I'm glad that he forgave me, he rescued me, that he found me. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. But a lot of Christians treat the Christian life like entering a great big house and staying in the entryway. Oh, man, it's beautiful. I'm so glad for the entryway. I'm so glad for being saved. But they never find out there's so much in the house. They, they, they go to Bethel, which means house of God. It's a picture of God, God not only saving us, but bringing us into a family, bringing us into the church, the house of God where we grow 
where we're rescued by the good news of Jesus, where we find freedom and healing, community, and a purpose. But he doesn't just get into a place because he could easily settle there. Lots of people get saved. They, they, they come to church, but then they settle at a place of, I'm just going to attend. I'm going to be a part Here's where he's at. They go then to Jericho. Jericho means sweet fragrance. And Jericho was the place of worship. It was the first city Israel took in the promised land. And it was given to God as an offering. See, see, we grow, not just, we, we go from the place of he saved you. And then we grow in community and church. But, but there's, he wants us to know him through worship and prayer and an intimate, close relationship with God. But he doesn't even stop there because then they go to the Jordan River. And he crosses over the Jordan River. Elijah, I'm just summarizing quickly. You can read it for time. He takes his mantle and he rolls it up and he strikes the water and the waters part and they cross over the Jordan River. The Jordan often in Israel's history represented a baptism for Israel. And there's something that happens in the life of a Christian that he saved you, but he also wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Empower your life to do what he's called you to do. Some people are content to stay on one side of the Jordan and never cross over. But he fills you with the Holy Spirit so that there's life-transforming power, not just for you, but for the world around you. And then Elijah. Jason, if you and the team want to get ready. Then Elijah turns to Elisha and he says, man, I've been trying to leave you in every town we've passed. I, I just can't, I can't shake you. <laughs> he says, why? What can I do for you? And Elisha makes a request that I want to point out to you today. Elisha has refused to settle. He's refused to stop. He's refused to camp. He's recognized that there's a, a purpose and a significance. For those of you taking notes, point four is this. Pick up your mantle See, 10 years prior, Elijah had taken his mantle and thrown it upon Elisha, and it was a recognition that he has a purpose and a calling. You have a calling, a purpose from God. Do you know that God calls people to be more than just pastors and missionaries? I'm, I'm thankful for that. But he's called everyone with his purpose. He's called everyone to know him and to make him known. And, and Elijah has this moment. He throws the garment on Elisha, and Elisha will spend the next 10 years of his life being prepared for this moment. He says, what, what can I do for you? I, I've tried to shake you in town after town, but you haven't settled. Come on, church, don't settle for less than God's best for you. Don't settle until you're totally free. Don't settle until you're fully fulfilled in Jesus. Don't settle until you're walking in the purpose of God. Don't settle until you have all that God's called you to. He says, please let a double portion of what you've got rest on me. Double portion was what was given to the firstborn. He's saying, I want, I want more. I want more. I, I don't know, church, maybe, maybe that's your prayer today, that you want more, more of God, more of his purpose, more freedom, more joy, more 
peace. Elijah, Elijah refuses to settle until he gets it. And Elijah says, hey, uh, what you've asked for, I can't give you. But if you see me when I'm taken out of here, maybe it'll happen. And you may know the story of Elijah. He's taken to heaven in a whirlwind. It's a pretty, I, I can't wait to see the digital Blu-ray download of that one day um, in heaven. He, he's taken in a very unique experience in the Bible. And Elisha sees Elijah go. But then as Elijah's taken out of his sight, something falls to the ground. It's a mantle. It's the same garment that Elijah had thrown over his shoulders 10 years before. Why is that important? Because we don't need gifts in heaven. Your, your, your purpose isn't for heaven. Your home's heaven. But your purpose is right here. And, and the mantle fell because God had unfinished business and somebody had to pick it up. Can I tell you, there's some stuff on the ground in your family, in your relationships, in your faith, in your life that God's calling you to pick up. It's time to pick up the mantle. Elisha picks it up. He tears his old garment because there's some things you can't take from the old season into the new season. If you're carrying offense, let it go. If you're carrying hurt, let it go. If you're carrying guilt and shame, bring it to Jesus. Let it go. But you gotta pick up. It's not enough to let one thing go. You've gotta pick up what God's placed in front of you. Would you stand to your feet? Elisha's generation would see Jezebel fall. I think this generation can see the enemy's work fall. Let me, let me say that again. I think there's still a generation that's meant to see the influence and the effect of that same crud, that same stuff, fall and bow its knee to the name of Jesus. But it's only going to happen when his church, his people, pick up what they're called to. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.